family. Today our scripture reading will be from the book of 2 Kings chapter 17. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria, in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of Medes. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right, They built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places, as the nations did, whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served other idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this. Yet... The Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. They were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenants that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. And went, they went after false idols and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possessions of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, The nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities in which they lived. This is the word of the Lord. So good morning. I'm, I'm uh, Darren, one of the elders here at Pillar, and we are going to be continuing our series through the book of Second Kings. So if you've been here for a little bit, we've been looking at the kings for quite some time, for just a, a few months maybe. Um, but has it been a little heavy? Like we continue to see almost like this downward spiral of what Israel has been doing. Because throughout the summer, we looked at First and Second Samuel, and we just see how David came and just took over the land, and God blessed him immensely, and then through Solomon. But then after that, it just started this downward, almost spiral. But also throughout this past few months, we've been learning a lot of 
new names. Uh, like, it's not very, very common that a church goes through the book of like 2 Kings. But we've been learning about like Jehu, Jeroboam, Jeroboam II, Azariah, so all these different kings. Then, but we've also been learning about the different prophets, Elijah, Hosea, and several other ones as well. And just the overall land that God promised his people of Israel, Israel and Judah, and then the split as well. But something else that I think is kind of cool that I don't think it was even done intentionally, in the kids building, the children's ministry, we're also going over the kings and the prophets. Last week, we talked about um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, where they had this, like, this, this showdown on Mount Carmel where, where, where they, Elijah built, the, um, built the, the sacrifice with a, poured a whole bunch of water on it, and God sent fire to rain down which Ben preached maybe like a month ago, Ben Alessi. And last week, I'm sorry, for then for this week for the kids' reading, they're going to be talking about Hosea, who was a prophet for Israel. And Vince mentioned him last week as well. This, then the next week, do you know what their kids are going to be talking about? The exile. So all of you have kids in the kids' building. There's no excuses for them not to know all the answers and all the things for you guys to be able to see them. But also uh, how we kind of go through the sermons, where we preach you know, book by book, I really do encourage you guys to continue to read alongside of us so then you guys can continue to see just how deep God's character is, just to be able to see the love that he has for his people. And then hopefully it'll just become more clearer and greater understanding because when we come up here, it's only 30, 40 minutes, depending who's preaching. Sometimes people are a little bit longer. But so to kind of really dig in deep to see his truths in there as well. Now, Throughout the book of Kings, there have been two types of kings, right? the good and the bad. The ones who do right in the eyes of the Lord, and then the other side, the ones who do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the ones that have done evil, they continue to build up idols, worship other gods, and build up all these high places, right? and then obviously like, seek the desires of their flesh then as well. Well, today, my sermon is a hard one as Tracy just read, is about the exile. The exile. All right, so there's really like no easy way to like sugarcoat this, so I'm just going to be blunt. We're going to go through this passage, and we are going to be talking about the Israel's exile. So let's pray, then we'll get down right to work. Dear loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today. We come to you today, Lord, for you to work on our hearts, to soften our hearts, Lord, and transform our minds. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that today, through your word, that we'll be able to just to see your character more clearly, to see your love for your people so tenderly. And Lord, and that the, the words that are on this page is just transformed out. In your holy, precious name, Lord. Amen. So as I was putting this together, um, I started doing it at the Foster Library. Has have you, anybody been to the Foster Library before? A few. I think it's way better than the Kadena Library, right? Yes, that's a good one. It is a really good one. It's like way better than the Air Force one. So I was going to do something like Marine Chant, but I'm Air Force, so I probably wouldn't do it justice, but it, you guys can do it in your heads. Right, so but, but what happened is sit down, I sat next to the window, which I always like a lot of light when I work. Some people like to work in the darkness. I like all the light. And when I was sitting down, I look, just kind of thinking, looking around. I was like, 
look to my left, there's like obviously a bookshelf with a whole bunch of books, but it's all about the different religions. Whole bunch of different, like Buddhism, different cults, different, um, one about like different prayer type things. There's one that I wrote down that says New Physics Cosmo. Maybe an interesting read, I don't know. But they also had several different books from a series called The Idiot's Guide To. Maybe you guys have seen them before or anything like that, but they have this Idiot's Guide to Hinduism, different um, pagan practices, world religion, prayer, all these different things. The world around us is pulling us away from the one true God. Right? And I know there's many people that are looking for answers. So let's not be led astray. The Bible that we have, that we have is direct and it's straightforward. God was direct with Israel and what he commanded. Like he was supposed to be their God and no one else, period, dot. And as God was direct with the Israelites, he is also very direct with us. So when we come to a passage like this, it can be easy just to kind of almost like to say, like skim over it and think through, it's like, well, that only applies to that time, to those kings, right? Because we can easily see their sin and just skim over it. We can just like, well, that's just too bad for them. But here in the text, my main idea for this, for this morning is rebellion against God's instruction will bring discipline and eventually judgment. Rebellion against God's instruction. And tell her how it is. Can't sugarcoat it. And then these are my three main points. Israelites were warned. They then rejected that warning. And then they were removed. So warning, rejected, and removed. But. We have this but. Right, this, this phrase that we'll look into a little bit more then as well. So when I was putting this together, I also thought of it as like a rock march. I'm Air Force, we don't do a lot of rock marching. I've only think, done one in my whole career. <laughs> and basic training a while ago, and it was, it was probably like two miles. I wasn't even that probably. It was probably pretty sad, right? But sometimes rock marches, maybe you're all excited at the beginning of it, but it's heavy, right? Maybe throughout your time, it gets even heavier as we're going through it. And, and as we're walking through this, we just have to see the text how it is and then go through it. So let's put our packs on and let's start rucking. I don't, is that a term? Maybe. Yeah, they're said nuts. I thought it makes making up words. I'm not. Because rebellion against God's instruction will bring discipline and eventually punishment. So what was God's instruction? What did God, what did God give them? One passage that we see this very clearly is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I'll pull it up here. So I'm just going to reread it in verse 1 and 2 and then kind of explain almost like a little bit the rest of the chapter. But you can also like kind of skim ahead and also you might be able to have heard this before as well. It says, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statues and the rules that I speak to you, speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. So here, the Lord is speaking to his people, his people. And then through the rest of the chapter, it talks about the Ten Commandments, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not covet and so forth. Because he was supposed to be their God. God set the standard on how they were supposed to live. He set the standard on how they were to worship him. 
Throughout all the Torah, I think there's over like 600 laws that God commanded them. Right? And those are from like the ceremonial laws and ritual laws to the ethical and moral laws and then the overall civil and case laws then as well. The point that I want to make that, that he is the one that sets the standard, not the people of Israel, not the people that around in the world, but he set the standard. He is the one that has the authority to set that standard, not those people, because he is the ultimate truth. But I always like to think of things like kids, like why? Why do we have to do this? Why? So why them? Let's just, one page over, chapter 7, uh, verses 6 through 9, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. And it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his, set his love on you and chose you, but for, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of the Pharaoh king of Egypt. And then verse 9, Now therefore that the Lord your God is God and faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So what did the people do? Why them? Because God chose them. They did nothing special to earn God's favor or blessing. God chose them. So God set the standard and God chose them. And then why? Because, verse 8, because God loved them. And he was going to keep his oath with them that he swore. So recap, God chose the people of Israel. God set the standard on how they were supposed to live. And God is the one that's keeping his promise. But then why should they follow him? Why should the people, right? So do the people have a choice in this? Israel was supposed to do the law according to God's command and obey it, just not to secure redemption. It's not to earn their salvation, but to reflect his glory and his honor and draw all the nations and to worship the one true God. And also at the same time, the Israelites were to recognize their inability. All those laws, there's no way that they'd be able to do that. But they're supposed to remove their transgression by repenting and then offering the sacrifices that he commanded them to do. Right through that temporarily sacrifice was meant to portrayal, to portray the coming of the Messiah in the future. Now, how did God guide them? God sent the priest in order to teach them the law and how they're supposed to live, but then he also sent the prophets. He told them what, what he expected, but God warned them. And this brings me to my first point, that he sent several warnings throughout all of this. The people don't obey God's instruction because they consistently needed warnings. All right, warnings aren't that harsh of a word. Who's ever been like, pulled over by the cops before, by the police? Right? Like, right? When you get, oh, Trace, I almost, right? So when we get a warning, you kind of almost feel like that sense of relief a little bit. It's like, sweet. Right? That's, it's, it's pretty sweet. It's nice. Also, I'm a maintainer by trade, and we have the technical orders and instructions and stuff like that. Um, and we have instructions, and we have like warnings, cautions, and notes in our technical orders when we do maintenance. And warnings are always the worst one. So if a warning is in place, something serious had to have happened in order for that to take place. 
So you need to pay special attention to these warnings. So let's just look at it a little deeper instead of feeling like off the hook. Because God warned them because of their rebellion. Rebellion against God's instruction will bring discipline. Even discipline, we think it's like, well, that's, maybe that's a little bit harsher of a word. It's hurtful, a form of punishment. But the warnings God gave them was to purify them and to bring them back. Bring them back because it's his chosen people. And the prophets, the prophets were there to remind them that they're rebelling against God. The one true God is against his standard that he required of them. The prophets were there to remind them. Also, if you've seen over the past few weeks, just almost like this downward spiral of the people. Right? This God sent a prophet. Maybe they obeyed for a short period of time, or maybe they did some of the stuff that the time had turned back, but not fully. So this almost continual cycle. Like people rebelled, God warned and corrected, they obeyed, and then they rebelled. This downward cycle. And I'm sure parents, you can understand warnings probably a little bit too with kids. Like, don't touch that. Don't touch that. It's going to burn you. It's, seriously, it's going to burn you. And then they touch it. And then what happens? They get burned. Continual rebellion. The prophets were trying to change their hearts. Just not that surface level, outward, outward obedience, but really get to their hearts to truly transform them, to, to remember to who they belonged to, to the one true God. Then even think of the book of Kings here as well, the author who wrote it. Right? It was after the exile was complete. So the exile was already complete. So just think for a second. The book of Kings is also a warning to the people then who returned back, to return back when, when Israel was restored. Because we rebellion against God's instruction will bring discipline and eventually judgment. Man, that seems pretty harsh, though, that, it's, that, that the warning and all this discipline is because of what the kings have done. But it's not just the kings. Let's look at verse 7. So chapter 17, uh, verse 7. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them out of the hand of the land of Egypt. From under the hand of Pharaoh king, I'm sorry, I messed with there, God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. So it wasn't just the kings, it was the people. Up until this point, it consistently said the kings did evil in the sight of the Lord. But here it transfers from the kings to the people. The people did evil, the people worshiped other idols, the people. It's them that seek the diet, their own personal desires of the flesh, the people. Right? And, uh, and up until this point, there was 31 bad kings compared to the eight good kings throughout all of Judah and Israel. Out of this 208-year period. But just for Israel, though, they were all bad. Now, typically, obviously, kings have a huge influence on the people. I'm not negating this, that fact. But the people also did evil. Right? They were his chosen people. The people sinned against the king. The people did what was evil. They reveled against God. They feared other gods. They didn't obey God's instructions. Now, I'll just look down for a few seconds as well. What else does it say there in verse 8? Walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord, 
whom the Lord drove out. So they continued to do what the outside people were influencing them to do as well. Ooh, and then verse 9. Let's camp out in this for a second. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord. Who likes secrets? Right? Like, who likes keeping secrets? Right? Secrets, they're fun because you get to whisper them. You get to whisper them a little bit. A lot of times we keep secrets with our coworkers, friends, sometimes with our spouses. Sometimes we obviously keep secrets from our kids because they don't need to know everything. <laughs> Kennedy's face. <laughs> but also sometimes we keep secrets and from our kids and they call us FBI agents. Like, ooh, because we meet with people, talk with different people, and they want to know what we're talking about, but they don't need to know. <laughs> they don't need to know. But secrets, the secrets here, though, are a little bit different. They're a little bit different. They, um, the people on the surface level did, did things that were, that were acceptable. Maybe they went to temple. Maybe they, I think they probably maybe did some of those ceremonial rituals, or celebrated some of the festivals then as well. But, but the secret stuff, the secret stuff, the evil practices, the stuff that would bring them fear and shame, they did secretly, thinking that it was away from the eyes of the Lord. Secrets. Sometimes our secrets are a little more than just, a little more than just keeping something from our kids. Sometimes they're a little bit deeper. Something dark. Something that we don't want anybody to know. Something that could hurt other people. Something that could hurt God. That separates us from God. Sin is hurtful. That deep, dark sin is hurtful. Because it's not a game. This life that we live is not a game. Whom we worship is not a game. Is there such a thing as God not knowing? Those deep, dark things in our personal closets. We might be able to hide them from others, but we cannot ever hide them from God. When we look at those passages, right, it paints a picture almost of why they fell. And I'll say, it kind of makes sense. They were warned repeatedly. They still continue to live for themselves, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. I know some of you maybe have toddlers or played hide-and-go-seek with a toddler before where, you, where they go run and hide, maybe they just only cover their head, thinking that they're hidden from, from their parents, whoever's looking for them, right? And it's like, oh, where's little Johnny, right? But then it's like, they maybe do like a little giggle, but you can obviously see them blatantly right there as well. We cannot hide from God. Nothing is secret from God. He knows our innermost hearts. Now, rebellion against God is defeating. The weight that we carry, this rock march, can be heavy. The secret sins, the open sins, do we care about our sins? God cares about our sins. 17, 13 in Deuteronomy. Let's look at that quick. And the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I command your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. God sent prophets. Throughout all those warnings, he sent the prophets because he loved them. He cared for them. He wanted them to obey, obey his standard because it was for their, their good and his glory. Now, 
He didn't just tell them to turn away, but he also gave them direction, but to turn to him. It's always about him, pursuing him and glorifying him because he knew that the path that they're on was leading to destruction. But this conjunction here, I had this in this for a few reasons. And this one, because Jesus came. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law and the prophets. In Matthew 5, 17, it'll pull up here. It says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law, the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is the only one that is able to fulfill the law perfectly. He is the one that did fulfill the law perfectly. He is fully God and he obeyed God's standard perfectly. Jesus fulfilled it. And he, because he is able to fulfill the law perfectly, he is our advocate. Through him, we are saved. But then how did the people respond to the warnings? Obviously, they rejected it. They continually rejected it. Let's look like at verses 14 through 15. But they would not listen, but were stubborn, as their fathers had been, who did not, who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they despised his statutes, his covenants that he made with their fathers, and the warnings that he gave them. Then it continues on about what they did. What do you guys think of when you guys think of stubborn? Right, for me, like digging in your heels, I'm not going to move. For some reason, I was thinking of horses while doing this. So, right, so the stubborn, just little girls trying to pull the horse where leading out to the pasture, to the barn, but just not budging. Stubborn. And then what about for despise? Despise. For some reason, I'm still coming with the horse theme. I was thinking like, well, you can just do whatever you want. I don't want to do what you're doing. I just want to do me. Do me. I'm, I'm a peacock. Let me fly. But no. Despised. Despised. Right? They despise his statutes, his covenant, his, he commanded them. Now let's get a little more personal. Personal. What have we been stubborn with? What have we despised? Because remember, it is his instruction for his chosen people that he commanded and that he promised. But they didn't care. They didn't care what the prophet said. They didn't care who they belonged to. They didn't care what the standard that God set for them. And they did not care that the oath that he promised them. They did not care. Then just in a, in a few verses down, and you can see what, they, see what happened there. Um, verse 17. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings. They had no regard for life, even for their children. Got completely away from God. Now, do we care what the word says. Do we spend time reading his word, understanding his commands for his people? Do we care what pleases him? Do we read a verse like 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16? I'll just look at the back part of it here, the last part. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Do we look at that verse and think maybe a little bit differently? Do we meditate on that to really understand what does holiness mean? How can we be holy? What about 1 John 2, 15 through 17? It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. 
then it goes on from there. Do we think, do we think what is the world versus not in the world? Does that change what we watch on TV or what we listen to? Do we, do we think about what the world is, is and how that is displeasing towards God? Or do we rebel? Do we rebel because we think our ways are best? We are we're stubborn and we just stick to our ways. Verses like these are not meant for me. They're meant for people during that time. All right, or it's like, I'm not that much into the world. Or I think we try also often tired to try to like justify our actions. And then we compare ourselves to other people, but then we don't compare ourselves to God's standard. God has a standard for us. Now, one easy way for us to do just a quick examination for this is like, how do we spend our time and our money? Right, that's a good indication. And I know for here, for the life of Pillar, there have been some people that truly do spend their time and their resources for building up the body. Just what, a couple of weeks ago, the Dependent Bros did this huge landscaping thing outside. Fantastic job. People serve faithfully in the children's ministry. Even in the children's building, we bought this three years ago now, and it's almost paid off. I think it was a 10-year loan, five or 10-year loan. The people are very generous as well. So where do we spend our time and our resources? For Israel's, their time was worshiping false gods. The money that they earned was for themselves, building, the, building themselves up and seeking the desires of their flesh. But, but in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, I'm sorry, I don't think it, oh, it is up there, sweet. Oh man, one second. I'll read it here. It says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But he emptied himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus Christ took all of our guilt and shame upon himself. That penalty that we deserve, Jesus emptied himself because only through him that he is the redeeming power. We are not rejected. We are accepted sons and daughters, fully adopted in him, fully forgiven of our sins. Now, does that mean we just continue to do what we want? By no means. But it's not a, a good for goodness sake, it's good for Christ's sake, to glorify him and what we do. Honor him and who we are. But for the people of Israel here, they were warned repeatedly. And even after the people rejected from following God's instruction, here we are at the removal. God removed them from the promised land, the land that he promised them. Because rebellion against God's instruction will bring discipline and eventually judgment. And I, I know I mentioned this before, but it's almost been almost kind, of, kind of like gradual a little bit too, right? So this removal has been gradual. He allowed them to begin, right, that bitter taste of defeat through the wars, through the, the countryside moving back into their areas that they conquered before, their neighbors overtaking them. In verse 6, it all came crashing down. Let's go 17.6. In the ninth year, Hosea, the king of Assyria, captured 
Samaria, and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria. The king captured them. This, all that time led to this. All those battles, all that time taken through David, through Solomon, building up that kingdom, came crashing down. In one short sentence, they were captured. Did that mean that God didn't keep his promise? Are they not his people anymore? No, not at all. God is judging his people because he is calling, calling his people back. After all those warnings, they needed discipline and the judgment that helped them see why they suffered God's punishment. And God was angry and he removed Israel from his sight. Now let's jump down to verses 22 to 23. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. As he spoken by all his servants, the prophets, so Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. So we see Jeroboam again. You guys remember Jeroboam? He was the first king of Israel after the split. So this was... This was already thought out before this took place. And it's thought out, we can look back in 1 Kings 14, 15 through 16. Amen. 15 through 16, it says, The Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, a root up of Israel out of the good land that he gave to their fathers and scattered them beyond the Euphrates. Because they have made their Asherim, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel be up because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. At this time, Jeroboam was really sick, and he tried to see what the prophets would say about him. So going to the prophets, this is what they told him, that his kingdom will eventually fall. Through all of that, God already had a plan. It was already planned out. And to see Jeroboam's sin, this defect the generations then through that as well. This is how much of an influence that he had. Because what? Sin cannot go unpunished. Judgment is necessary. It is necessary. And God is the only one that is able to judge us. Right? Because remember, he set the standard for his chosen people that he has promised. It's only through him. And then we see in verse 24. I'm not going to read it all. Tracy did a good job of saying all the names. So thank you, babe, with that. Um, but we see just the overall, they were captured and then taken away. And typically how this worked out is when the people that had influence, the people that would most likely rebel in Israel, were then taken out to a far off country. So this would be like the people of wealth, the people with power, the ruling people there, maybe the merchants and the priests, the people that would cause problems. And then on the way there to their new, new place that they were going to live, they're going to be punished, tortured into submission to the Assyrian way. Because when they got there, they wouldn't know anybody. They wouldn't know the language. They wouldn't know the culture. They wouldn't know anything. So, and then they would be taught the Assyrian way to do things. And then for people that were coming into Israel were exiles from other places that were coming into exile. All right, then this changed the whole culture of Israel. Then the people that were either got left behind or people that maybe escaped the exile then intermarried with this new, new people population. So this Jew and then Gentile people. Do you know what they were called? The Samaritans. And then look forward to the New Testament. We just see the Jews hated the Samaritans because then when the people came back after the Babylonian exile, 
when they built the, the temple and, um, and the wall, the people that gave them the most problems were the Samaritans. Just that hatred. Just see this, how the whole cultural changed through it all. And then I wanted to kind of look at this really briefly, just how the lions. Like even after all that judgment, all the warnings, all the removal, God, he still sent lions there to judge the people. And how did the king react? Right? It had to be that bad that they sent a messenger to the king to say, okay, we're having problems here. Send help. Do something for help. What did he do? He sent a priest. You guys remember what a priest is supposed to do? He's supposed to teach the law of the people. He tried to still bring him back. But if you read, finish out reading chapter 17, they still were stubborn and despised. It's a lot easier for us to see the faults or the sins of others than it is to see our own. And we do believe like sin does need to get punished. I always to think that sin of others is always worse. And also, God's covenant, his promise shows that his people were not immune to his punishment because God set the standard. God chose his people for his promise. But, but God always had this planned out. He always had this planned out. We saw it with Jeroboam, but also even before that, King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8, God spoke through Solomon, knowing that his people were going to sin, knowing that his people throughout all generations were going to sin and they were going to be needing rescue. That these people were going to be needing, that they were going to be left or taken away and be captive. God fully anticipated it. He is not surprised by any of this. We need rescue. Because he knew that all of mankind was going to run towards our own destruction. But God still intervened. Family, we need to turn to him. Because rebellion against God's instruction will bring discipline and eventually judgment. And the weight that we do carry can consume us, can shame us. We, we can feel our guilt. We can sit in it because it's deep, it's dark, and those secret things. And as much as the rebellion as the Israelites did, we're just as rebellious as well if we truly search our hearts. Because no matter how much we labor, how much good we do, it never satisfies God. Only Jesus is the one that is able to satisfy that. Because for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So my intentions this morning was not for a, a doom and gloom, a fire and brimstone message. My message for you this morning was to point you to Jesus point you to Jesus through all of that because all of our brokenness, all of our rebellion, all of our stubbornness, all of our despise, we need Jesus because he fulfilled the law perfectly. He is our advocate and he emptied himself for us. Some of us maybe still be having that heavy pack on during our rock march here. We're feeling like, I've done too much evil or God can never forgive me. Let me just say, God can forgive you. Confess your sins, repent your sins, and turn towards him. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, it'll come up on the screen here. It says, 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Find rest for your souls. It's only through Jesus Christ. The weight of our sin is put on Jesus and our burden is light. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Through Jesus, completely redeemed us, took that penalty that we deserved. Because while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus restored what was broken. That broken relationship is only can be restored through Jesus. And through Jesus, we are forgiven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message this morning, allowing us just to see your love for people, to care for people, to provide the way to get, to honor and glorify you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your redeeming us, taking the penalty, Lord, for us, restoring our hope that is only through you, Lord, and forgiving us our sins. In your holy, precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.